Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Focusrite, supplying hardware and software products used by professional and amateur musicians, which enables the high-quality production of music. Focusrite, sound is everything. And now your hosts, Joey Sturges, Joe Wanasek, and Eyal Levy. Hello there, and welcome to Dear Joey. Thanks for tuning in. If uh, you want to ask me a question, you can do so online. Just send uh, an email to al at urm.academy. That's E-Y-A-L at U-R-M dot academy. Make sure the subject line says Dear Joey, and uh, we'll be sure to take your questions. So essentially, I'm just going to sit here and uh, answer some questions for you guys. Uh, this is a really cool opportunity for you guys to reach out to us and ask specific questions, and we'll give you specific answers. So this first question comes from Tyler DGOB, and he asks, on your chunk nail the mix, you were discussing stereo and mono plugins. And I was curious if the same thing applies to groups and buses. For example, if I have four mono guitar tracks going into a bus and two of them are panned left and the other two are panned right, the bus would be stereo and therefore I would use stereo plugins on the bus. But let's say I had two separate bass tracks, like one grit and one low, and they were both mono tracks, but panned center. Would this bus be stereo because there are multiple things going into it, or because there are both center, the bus would stay mono, therefore mono plugins. Thanks for being awesome and some of the best teachers going around. Well, Tyler, thank you for the very flattering comments. We really appreciate that. And thanks for being a member. Also, thanks for the question. Um, let's talk about what buses actually are. Essentially, it's just a channel that has audio going into it and then audio coming out of it. Very similar to an audio channel, except uh, that buses tend to don't have a, a way to actually record any actual data. It's a pass-through channel. Um, so with an audio track, you know, you, you put audio into it and then you record it and then it plays back the audio and that's the output um with a bus you don't actually record anything it's just a pass through so the audio comes into the bus gets affected by whatever you have on there and then comes out of the bus so what determines if a bus is mono or stereo well actually you have to decide this uh beforehand you have to tell the DAW if you want a mono bus or a stereo bus. So the question then becomes, well, which type of bus do I create for which scenario I'm working with? Um, when it's a, uh, you know, two guitars on the left and two guitars on the right, and you need something that needs to be panned, um, we're gonna call this panned inner group or inner bus, then you need a stereo bus. Now, what I mean by that is, if you have a stereo bus, it has two channels, and by default, the first channel is going to be left and the second channel is going to be right and that's a 100% left channel and a 100% right channel um, so being able to pan inside the bus like inner bus is only possible in a stereo bus this means that you can send audio into the bus and then you can pan it to the left or, or you can pan the audio to the left and then put it into the bus and now it's on the left channel of the bus this is a big difference with a mono bus because a mono bus does have the ability to pan, but it's post 
bus panning. It's not pre-bus panning or it's not inner bus panning. That means is you can send audio into that bus and you can pan it afterwards. You can pan it to the right or the left, but it only has one channel. So there's no way to do inner bus panning. Um, So for your specific examples with the guitars, um, you would have your guitars going into a stereo bus and that would make sense and you would use stereo plugins. Um, and then for the instance of the bass, you would use a mono bus and you would use mono plugins. Um, just because you're sending two channels to the bus doesn't make it a stereo bus. You have to actually decide that on your own. And in fact, in, uh, in Cubase, for example, you could send the two mono bass signals to a stereo bus and you would still get the mono sound. And that can be confusing to some people, but basically all you need to understand is if you're starting with mono data, you're going to end with mono data unless you use a plugin that turns it into stereo data, which is possible. You can use like a reverb or, for, for example, Joey Sturge's tone side widener, um, and that would allow you to uh, essentially create a, a wider sound, and you're basically fabricating a left and a right channel. Now, if you were to send both of the bass tracks to a mono bus and then use a stereo plugin on that mono bus, essentially what you would get is, you know, if, if it was a reverb, for example, you would get the mono version of that reverb. So pay attention to where your what your starting tracks are, your sources. Are they mono? Are they stereo? Are they panned, you know, inner bus? And then make your bus decisions based on that. And also... Make sure you choose the right plugins. I've seen many times where a uh, you know a guitar lead, for example, is coming into a bus, a mono bus, and there's like a stereo reverb on there, and uh, it's funny because then it sounds mono. So it's you're kind of uh, contradicting yourself there. Thanks for the question, Tyler. Next question comes from Ivan. He says, "Hey Joey, I'm starting a project with other musicians in my area." We're from Spain. We're going to mix core with a music genre that's popular right now. They haven't been used together yet, but it has the potential to be one of the main genres in the core music scene in a few years. We're currently writing music, and we want to take all the time necessary to do everything to the best of our abilities. When we finish recording the album, we want to do a marketing campaign and some professional music videos before releasing it so that we can build a proper fan base. We're basically willing to do anything to make this project successful. Keeping in mind that we're in Spain and we want to be noticed worldwide, what tips can you give us for for a marketing campaign? Any ideas on how to reach out to the highest number of people in the core scene? Also, should we focus this campaign on reaching out to new fans or should we put more effort into being noticed by record labels? Thanks very much. Well, you're actually talking about... um, a myriad of, of issues and uh, a wide variety of tasks here. And um, there's a lot that can be navigated here. Uh, for example, you say you're in Spain and you want to be noticed worldwide. Well, you know, the, this, the United States is probably one of the most successful uh, countries for entertainment. Um, and so, one of the obvious things to do is to just, you know, relocate to, to, to the United States and, and try to really build a campaign around that. 
Um, and something I've noticed, especially when it comes to labels, is that you really do need to be able to make it and to succeed in America if you want to do what I would consider to be like the most typical approach to, to music marketing, which is what you see, you know, a lot of artists doing like, uh, for example, asking Alexandria is from United Kingdom, but they come to the United States. They release the album here. They do all the music videos here. They tour here. Um, that's just because there's more people and you have to look at that. Um, you have to be, you have to realize that there's a localization to everything. And, uh, being in Spain is not, uh, you know, it's, it's not as popular. The, the type of music that you, that you would be working with is not as popular in those countries as it is in America. And it's uh, harder to reach those fans. So on the subject of, of marketing, the big thing that you want to do is you want to be able to have a story to tell. And the story needs to be something that's exciting and something that's new and something that's engaging. And, um, one great example I guess I could give is is just, you know, look at like Rob Zombie. Um, he's into horror films. He has this crazy stage show and, you know, he has a cool story. If you go check out any history on him, this is something that is a big difference between these mega artists versus like these local bands is that the local band or, or a new band or whatever you want to call it tends to not really have a very exciting story. Um, you know, we could look at Conquer Divide, for example. It's a, it's an all-female metal band, and the members come from all over the world. And it's a really interesting story about how they found some of the members on YouTube, and then, you know, they made a video, and then they got discovered by a record label, and they got signed, and, and all these things. So think about it. You know, you need to have something that's, that's tangible and, and interesting about you and your and and how you got created, how you become a band, um, and then on top of that, you need really great songs and you know great media content. And um, these days, you you almost always have to have a visual with every song. These are just some things to take into consideration. And then, as far as like focusing on fans versus focusing on the labels, here's the thing: you don't want to focus on labels because that's the wrong attitude from the from the start if you're doing everything you can to get the label then you're not doing it right what you need to be doing is building a business that has customers that has fans people that love you people that are going to show up when you play a show people that are going to buy your record doesn't matter who put it out um look if you have fans and they want your music they will figure out how to get it it's you don't need the chicken before the egg so to speak right the big thing to focus on is building a business that's profitable, uh, creating fans which are, become customers, and just continuing to drive that and progress that as much as possible to the point where labels need you in order to succeed. Okay, so this next question comes from Marcus said, I've been wondering about your thoughts on EQing or just general processing in solo and getting each individual track to sound good to get a basis for the mix. I noticed that you guys don't discourage processing in solo, which is awesome. I've been doing that forever because I hated that rule. I usually bring in elements one at a time, usually drums, bass, guitars, vocals, extras. So whenever I 
started on essentially dictates where I, my mix will go. My question is, at what point do you try to stop worrying about how things sound in solo and only focus on the full mix? Well, the thing about working with items in solo is you can trick yourself and it can be dangerous territory. I like to use it as a tool to inform myself of, of what's going on um, in detail, but making sure that the, de- the decision-making process is happening um, you know, in a combination of things. Some of the decisions are being made in solo, some of them are being made in context. Now, keeping the whole thing in context is absolutely the most important thing when it comes to mixing, because mixing is the actual action of combining elements and making them sound good together. So, you know, let's talk about making food. If I was to make a pizza, it's a bunch of different elements. There's pizza sauce, there's cheese, there's dough, there's pepperoni. And the thing is, is that, yeah, you can make some really great pepperonis and you can make some really awesome cheese and make some really great sauce and then make a really great dough. And then you can put them all together and hope that it sounds good or that it tastes good. But... The issue with that is you, you've got a taste test, right? Create the pizza, bake it, eat it. What, what's missing? What could be better? That's the thing um, that's so important about mixing in context is that, and, and it's, it's very nice um, because we have great tools nowadays. And so you can really, you know, you can hear things instantly, um, so there's really no excuse for not listening in context, I guess is what I'm getting at. But the the main point is, if you make a change, you should listen to it in context of the whole sound and the whole mix. Go back, go back in solo to hear, you know, the detail of the change and to kind of exaggerate what you're doing so that you can really, you know, train your brain into into what's really going on. And then listen to how that affects the whole mix and how it affects the item in the mix. These are the strategies really that I use with almost every single adjustment that I make. Um, and you'll see me always A-being and turning things on and using bypass and soloing and muting and all this. It's because I want to hear everything that I'm doing in so many different ways so that I can make the best judgment call. And uh, really, my approach may not be the best but in my opinion i think it it just makes the most logical sense and for me it has created success so you know not that i really know because i'm not formally trained um this is what i've experienced from my trial and error my own personal um trials so you know especially with eqing i like to push it past the point of of comfort you know um when i when i'm trying to find my decision when i'm trying to make the decision i'll push the eq further than it needs to be so i can hear an exaggerated version of what i'm doing and then pull it back a little bit and i like to hear this both in solo and in context and and the thing about eqing in context is that you're going to learn which moves are the right ones and which ones are the wrong ones because if you hear a guitar um Let's say you hear a guitar track and you know notice that it's dull and it needs to be brighter. Your first instinct is to you know reach for a shelf or you know a wide band uh, adjustment or something like this and make it brighter and you turn it up a little bit and you're like oh that sounds better now. But when you listen to it in context, you can notice 
and a lot of times, especially in, in mixes that are very dense, you'll notice that that guitar disappears pretty quickly. And so then you have to push the EQ even further. And then when you go back and listen to the EQ, listen to the guitars by themselves, you might be like, whoa, that sounds like almost way too much EQ. But when it's in the context of the mix, it sounds great. That's actually the right thing to do. That's actually when it is right. And that's why we really harp on the whole thing about mixing in solo because if you mixed in solo and you made all of your decisions in solo uh, you would not push the EQ as far as it needed to go in order to achieve the proper result especially on mixes like Chris Lord Algae I mean he is cranking those EQ adjustments like plus 15 dB stuff um, don't be afraid to do that and especially if it makes sense in context then it's that's the right thing to do all right, this next question comes from Pate, and he says, this is mostly for everyone, but do you guys ever have, like, all is lost moments when you were practicing mixing and engineering? Like, feelings that you just want to sell all your gear, and if so, what is your inspiration to continue? Thanks for making Nail the Mix and URM Enhanced. Both are absolutely wonderful. Well, Pate, thanks for writing in, and thanks for being a member. Um, I think everyone experiences these kind of these kind of thoughts and feelings, um, especially when it comes to, you know, doing something on your own. And that's what we're all here to do is we're all here to start a studio or record our own band or to write great songs and make them sound good or, or run a business, whatever it is. We're all really entrepreneurs in a sense, um, because we're, we're doing our own thing. And when you're in that zone and when you are that way and you feel that way, it's very easy to just give up or feel like you want to give up or feel like, you know, all hope is lost. Um, but I think the, I think that's a healthy thing. I think that, uh, being hard on yourself is, uh, is a good thing to do because it keeps you in check and it keeps things honest and real. And, uh, I always try to look at what I do and, um, basically dissect it in terms of, of, how it will affect others and i think this is a strong thing that you can learn when you're when you're a mixer or an engineer is that a lot of what you're doing isn't for you it's for someone else i mean you are bringing someone else's art to life and there's a very um uh selflessness uh feeling to that there's 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 sort of a you know you're giving yourself um you're giving your skills and your talents to someone else's uh, wants and desires and needs. And I think the more you focus on just being a great service provider and just being a great person when it comes to the industry and, and, and how you interact with people and, and how you focus your talents and, and your decisions, that's when it, you really start to unlock the longevity of it all. You know, there's, there's a, uh, almost a permeance to it where you can create this uh, fulfilling um, career essentially from, you know, just being the go-to guy, like being the guy that everyone leans on, the guy that people trust. And that's, that's a really powerful thing to do. Um, and I think it's probably the most important thing to do when you're working in this field because it changes all the time and people need a backbone. So whenever you feel like, you're just lost and you're not really sure um, how to recover or, you know, you feel like you're just not getting anywhere. I would say 
that that happens to everyone. Don't worry about it and just just keep driving forward. Keep being that that guy that wants to study longer, work harder, try more. Um, the guy that's more trustworthy, the guy that that's always on time or always early. You know, the more of those things that you embody, the more you the more it will just become true. And it's it's really kind of that simple. All right, so the last question today comes from user Ed. And uh, Ed, you have a great name because it's only two letters. That's awesome. (laughs) So uh, question goes, hope you're doing well. What are your thoughts on systems like Genelex SAM, which adjust the EQ curve of your monitors based on the frequency response of your mixing environment? This claims to combat issues like null spots in your room. Do you think a system like this would be a good solution for a less than ideal room in conjunction with some basic sound treatment? Thanks for reading. Well, you know, I think that um, I've never really seen these systems make a, a large difference in, in, you know, in my experience. But at the same time, my experience isn't traveling to thousands of rooms in the world and like hearing all these different things. So I'm not necessarily the best person to speak about this, but I can say that I've always worked in spaces that are less than ideal and I've never made any EQ curve adjustments to, to, you know, contradict the room or to, to try and improve my, my listening environment. Um, and I remember when I started out, that was something that I would obsess about, you know, I would go online and like, you know, uh, Google things about changing the EQ curve of your monitors and should you do this, should you do that, blah, blah, blah. And, and what I noticed is that like none of those things ever really amounted to anything. They didn't get me records. They didn't get me record labels. They didn't get me new customers. They didn't make my mixes sound better. And if anything, it was just a giant waste of time. Now, there's going to be people out there that are going to totally contradict what I'm saying. They're going to totally disagree with, with this train of thought. But at the end of the day, are you making records? And if you are and they're getting better, then I don't really see why this is something for you to be concerned about. Now, when you get to a point where you're making records, you're getting better, but you're dealing with the top you know, one to five percentile um, in competition, you're competing with like, you know, people who do have these adjusted rooms, then maybe it's something to consider. But in my opinion, this becomes a roadblock because this is something that you will focus on and you'll obsess about, and then it'll stop you from from making albums, from making good mixes, from progressing your skill rather than you know worrying about your gear more than your skill, and all these things. It becomes these excuses and roadblocks in your career, and I really find that to be more detrimental than the actual issue with your room. Now, if you are dealing with a null that's something that's pretty serious and you do need to consider um, thinking about like at least getting that fixed because you know it is kind of impossible to uh, to mix bass if you can't hear it <laughs> but uh, you know once you've gotten it to a point where it's at least decent then I think it's fine you know it's it's that's where you you have something you have the what I like to call the MVP which stands for minimal viable product um, Essentially, all that means is that you have everything you need to just get started and get going. And you can worry about improving different cogs in the wheel uh, later. But just get going, get to the point where it's just good enough, and then 
actually go out and do something with your talent, do something with your skill. So uh, that's been uh, Dear Joey. Thank you guys for tuning in and listening. If you guys would like to have your question answered on air, you can send an email uh, to al at urm.academy with the subject line Dear Joey. That's E-Y-A-L at urm.academy. Make sure the subject line says Dear Joey. We'll take your questions and answer them on air. Thanks for listening, and thanks for being a member. You guys are awesome. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by Focusrite, supplying hardware and software products used by professional and amateur musicians, which enables the high-quality production of music. Focusrite, sound is everything. Visit Focusrite.com for more information. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit urm.academy slash podcast and subscribe. Subscribe today.